Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of State Schools podcast. I'm your host, John Stamper, Christian author, former homeschooler, and former public school teacher. Once a week, I'll give a quick recap of the most important headlines in education and pull back the curtain on what's really happening in our kids' schools. If you're a teacher, parent, or homeschool family, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 34. We have five things to talk about. Everything is coming from the week of August 7th. Some of those things include public libraries, rainbow clubs, the DOJ in school board meetings, and more woke teacher trainings, this time coming from the state of Tennessee. So story number one, if you are familiar at all with my story or if you've read my book, you'll know that I experienced radical ideological teacher trainings when I was with Chicago Public Schools. One particular training session was on intersecting identities, which comes from the concept of intersectionality, which was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. Kimberly Crenshaw is a prominent writer and supporter of critical race theory. So in this intersecting identities training, which I completed, teachers were told that you're either privileged or marginalized and that the privileged people use tactics of oppression or abuse against the marginalized people. This was not taught as theory. This was taught as fact. So who are these privileged abusers? Well, According to the training that I was required to complete, white people are privileged, Christians, men, English speakers, heterosexuals, homeowners, if you're cisgender, if you're not disabled, and if you're an adult under 60, you're privileged. Everyone else is marginalized and oppressed. Also, wherever two of these quote-unquote privileged identities meet, there's an assigned tactic of oppression or tactic of abuse. For example, white men are emotionally abusive toward women and quote unquote people of color. In addition, able-bodied Christians are emotionally abusive toward non-Christians and people with a disability. So just by existing, you're guilty. You're abusive. It has nothing to do with your character or your conduct, but it has everything to do with your skin color your faith, your sex. This stuff is Marxist, it's extremely prejudiced, it's extremely divisive, and it turns classmates into enemies. It turns coworkers into enemies. Well, I'm bringing all of this up because a school district in Tennessee has been doing the same teacher trainings. They're almost identical to what I just described. All right, these are trainings that teachers complete and then they bring these ideologies into their classroom. So. A copy of this training presentation was obtained through a public records request by a group called Parents Defending Education. In this Tennessee teacher training, teachers completed a quote-unquote cultural competence training where they were told that Christians, heterosexuals, men, cisgender people, descendants of Europeans, they all have privilege while women, pagans, people of color, polyamorous people and homosexuals are all oppressed. Another slide of this presentation even labels these groups as oppressors and oppressed. The answer to this problem, according to this training, is to have more quote unquote purple people. This is what the training says will solve the problem. 
more purple people. And that's how they describe um, people who d promote diversity, equity, and inclusion policies. If you are pro-diversity, equity, and inclusion, you are a purple person, and you are going to cure you know, the privileged, marginalized issue, the oppressed, oppressor issue. So again, this is almost identical to what I experienced three years ago in Chicago. But a lot of people might expect that to come from Chicago, but not Tennessee. You know, Tennessee has the reputation of being more conservative. In fact, it's a common argument from parents in schools in small towns. I hear this a lot. This will never happen in my town. It'll never happen in my school. And I hope it doesn't. But what I'm really trying to do with this podcast and my book is to just provide information, sound an alarm, talk about what's out there, so parents can protect their children from dangerous and evil things that could potentially be coming their way. You know, I value family and I want to see strong families. So at the very least, I hope that I can give parents something to keep an eye out for. Story number two. So you might remember in 2021, the National School Board Association wrote a letter to President Biden asking him to deploy the DOJ, the FBI, Homeland Security, to school board meetings to put an end to parent protests. They call these parent protests, you know, domestic terrorism and hate crimes. Then Attorney General Merrick Garland responded in support with his own letter, threatening to crack down on parents and school board meetings. Well, keep all of that in mind as I talk about this next story. So last week I talked about the Virginia DOE and how they finalized their model policies for schools to follow, including quote-unquote transgender policies. Well, apparently, while these policies were being introduced at a school board meeting in Roanoke, Virginia, two trans activists were arrested for yelling and interrupting the meeting. A few days after that board meeting, after the arrests, the DOJ's Community Relations Service, the CRS, they emailed the school board offering their support and services, quote, as you work to manage conflict within the community, and that the DOJ specializes in, quote, preventing and responding to community tensions and hate crimes, end quote. So the DOJ is saying, hey, we can step in and solve this problem for you, right? So how can the DOJ step into a local school board meeting? Well, a spokesperson for the DOJ, this CRS group, Community Relations Service, they said that the CRS can be invited into a community by any of the stakeholders involved, including local, state officials, community leaders, or a private citizen. That's all it takes for the DOJ to be invited into a school board meeting. They say, quote, the CRS, Community Relations Service, can also initiate involvement in communities where we believe our services can be of assistance, end quote. So they can step in and they can initiate, the DOJ can initiate involvement. They can just start it if they believe their services can be of assistance, which is always, anytime. They can just say, oh, we believe we can help. We're going to step in. This is dangerous. So anyone in the community can invite the DOJ or the DOJ can, quote unquote, initiate involvement in the communities where they believe their services can be of assistance. You know, oh, but don't worry. The federal government stepping into local school board meetings, it's a good thing, right? They're trying to keep the peace. It's for your own good. 
I mean, the DOJ itself says their CRS mediators are impartial. The DOJ says we're impartial. It's got to be true. And that they, quote, do not advocate for any party or any particular issue. Rather, the mediator, this is all according to the DOJ, our mediator is focused on delivering a fair and unbiased process that assists parties to develop agreements, end quote. Yeah, okay. Does anyone out there think the DOJ is impartial and unbiased and doesn't advocate for one particular party or particular issue? All they do is support trans issues through programs and trainings. Earlier this year, the CRS, this Community Relations Group, they joined the Civil Rights Division of the DOJ to sue states that challenged the Trans Day of Visibility and the states that didn't want to celebrate it. But yeah, they, re they sound really unbiased, don't they? You know, they don't advocate for any particular issue except the Trans Day of Visibility. Give me a break. So, you know, what do you expect? With government schools, you're going to have government control. You know, it's like that Ronald Reagan quote, the scariest thing that you can hear someone say is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. So this is something to keep an eye on. If you're sending your kids to a public school, you know, if the DOJ starts to increase their involvement in school board meetings around the country, things will become even more one-sided. Story number three, this story is a good one for parents who are concerned about the type of books that are available to their kids in public libraries, particularly books that are sexually inappropriate and even pornographic. Earlier this summer, parents and citizens in Northern Virginia attended a Board of Supervisors meeting in Warren County. Uh, this is where the topic of conversation was whether or not a collection of sexually explicit books would be removed from the children's section in the Samuels Public Library. A parent group called, quote unquote, clean up Samuels, as in clean up the Samuels Public Library, they attended the meeting and had three demands for the board to consider. Number one, remove all of the pornographic books from the children's section. Seems logical, seems pretty reasonable. Number two, cut ties with the American Library Association, the ALA, and I just talked about the ALA in a recent episode, how their new president is a Marxist lesbian who believes in using collective power for the common good, especially when it comes to children's materials. And uh, the third demand from this group was replace the library leadership who has violated public trust. So to the library's credit, they did make a few changes soon after the meeting. They said that they'd offer a new library card that would allow parents to restrict their children from accessing certain sections of the library, kind of like what you can do with your cell phone or, you know, TV channels, etc. Another big change was that the director of the Samuels Public Library officially resigned from her position. Now, it's not clear if her resignation was a direct result of these community demands or if it was more personal, but either way, it is a big change. So again, this is just a good example of how parents can work together to protect their children. Story number four, this is a heads up for parents and teachers around the country, something to keep an eye out for. Have you ever heard of rainbow clubs? Well, rainbow clubs are designed for elementary school students and they teach kids, now this is five to 11 year old kids, they teach kids what it means to be LGBTQ+, how to be an ally, how to be an activist, and how to achieve social justice. 
Now, this is taking place in LA's schools, Los Angeles. So, of course, it's not happening in every school in America, but it is important to know what's out there because trends spread. Just like the gender unicorn spread around the country, equity clubs spread around the country, rainbow clubs may be the next thing to spread. And this time it's targeting the absolute youngest students. Now, according to this rainbow club guide that the LA schools put out, the club is, quote, an inclusive space for elementary students to explore LGBTQ plus related topics. It's a space for celebrating many types of identities, including lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, non-binary, queer, questioning, intersex, ace, and two-spirit identities. Another section of this guide teaches kids how to be activists by saying, quote, activists are people who work to change things that they don't think are fair about the world. They speak up when they see something that isn't right, and they work with other people to come up with solutions. This is called fighting for social justice, end quote. The guide also teaches children how to create protest signs with slogans like, love is love, no ban, no wall, and no human is illegal. To round out this indoctrination, children watch a video about two boys who are romantically attracted to each other, and then students are asked if they think it's important to have trans and queer characters in movies and TV shows. Seems totally appropriate for elementary school students. Of course, children can't properly be sexualized without having heroes to look up to. So, to accomplish that, this guide points to two transvestites. That's right, Sylvia Rivera and Marsha Johnson founded the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, and they are referred to as quote-unquote incredible activists of color who sometimes identify as drag queens or transgender. So, again, all of this is taking place in government schools, funded with tax dollars. And there's no mention of parental consent, parental notification, parent involvement, or anything like that. So, if you're a parent or a teacher, be on the lookout for rainbow clubs. And don't forget, sometimes clubs like this go by different names, like the quote-unquote art club, which we've seen before, and they change the name to hide what's going on so that the community and parents cannot push back. Story number five, back to school season is upon us. And while I do advocate for homeschooling, I understand that most people will be sending their kids to a public school. That's why I made a post on my Instagram last week about five questions that parents should ask before sending their kids back to school. If you have a, you know, meet your teacher night or an orientation, or, you know, you get to talk to the principal, the school board, there are five questions that I would suggest you ask before sending your kid to that school. And I'm gonna read those questions to you right now. So number one, you could ask, what is the school district's policy on gender identity versus biological sex as it concerns bathrooms, locker rooms, sports clubs, etc.? The school will either allow boys into girls' facilities or they won't. And sadly, whichever way they go, they'll likely face a lawsuit. Question number two, you could ask, does our school district have a secrecy policy concerning gender identity? Now, if you don't know about secrecy policies, some schools have secrecy policies. They say protect the children, protect them from the parents. 
Secrecy policies allow school staff to change a child's name, their gender identity, and preferred pronouns without notifying the parents. So they undermine the parents. That's what secrecy policies do. Question number three, you could ask, how can parents access information on the school's special weeks, holidays, events, and speakers this year? Now, I think this is huge. If you wanna know what's coming down the pipeline in terms of indoctrination, these special events are what kids get the most excited for. You know, there's special days, special weeks, you get to dress up in fun outfits, you get to get out of social studies to go to a school assembly, you know, kids get bracelets, pencils, they're drawing pictures, they're signing up for clubs, you know, they're becoming LGBTQ allies in the hallway. So these special weeks, special events are definitely something that you're gonna wanna watch out for. Question number four, you could ask, how can parents access information that's discussed in regular teacher meetings and in teacher trainings. So teacher trainings are huge. If you've read my book or listened to this podcast, you'll know what I think of teacher trainings and how they can be used. Not all teacher trainings are the same, but they can be used to sneak woke, radical political ideologies into the classroom. And finally, question number five, you could ask, how can parents be involved in the curriculum adoption process and deciding which books are placed in the school library. Parents being a part of the curriculum adoption process is not common, but it should be. So this is something you might have to fight for, you know, but being able to screen the materials that will be taught to your kids is extremely important to say the least. All right, everybody, that's all I have for you this week. That's the state of state schools. Take care.